You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to a Thursday edition of Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every Heat game news item, rumor, and more. Thanks for listening, for subscribing, and to those who support us on Patreon. My name is Wes Goldberg, and I'm here as always with David Ramil. We don't have any games until tonight, and uh, it's been a long week, David. It's been a long all-star break. We had a few leftover mailbag questions from earlier in the week, so that's what we're going to do today. We'll answer questions about Miami's playoff chances, uh, Zaire Wade taking part in all-star weekend. But let's start with this question from Remy, who writes in, Can you see the Heat pursuing another point guard like Terry Rozier from Boston next season? He's definitely ready to be a starter. David, I really wanted to answer this question because you wrote a great profile on Terry Rozier, I think, about a month ago or so um, for the step back. So you've got some insight in Rozier. You kind of did a study on him, and you obviously talked with him and stuff like that about this idea of him being a starter. Uh, I guess we can go about this in two ways, so I'll sort of let you take it whichever direction you want to go in, like about Terry Rozier as a potential starter and like that fit with Miami. That That's one direction we can go. Or the other direction we can go is should the Heat be re- really looking for another guard in the first place, given kind of what they've fallen into with Justice Winslow? So I'll let you just kind of take this wherever you want to go. Well, that, that's, you know, that's an interesting way of laying it out because the reality is, I mean, maybe Rozier might be an upgrade of some kind. Like his numbers as a starter clearly are better than him coming off the bench. Um, you know, he was careful somewhat as far as his, his comments on, on whether or not he thought he should be a starter. I think privately he believes it. Um, he said things to that effect, but he doesn't want to rock the boat too much, too loudly. And on a, in a season when the Celtics locker room has been so, not necessarily dysfunctional, but let's say disharmonious, um, it, it's been a problem for him to try and keep his mouth shut. Different players have had problems trying to find their role there. Gordon Hayward, obviously still struggling from injury. He's not at 100%. You got Jalen Brown still trying to figure out his way. It, it's been a tough season for the Celtics fans. Not that anybody who's a Heat fan and listening to this podcast probably cares. But the reality is it's been a little difficult. And Rozier hasn't helped his case any because for all the playoffs heroics, the playoff heroics that defined him last year, he has struggled this season. You know, coming off the bench, he struggled as a starter at times. It's not been a, a clear case of him proving that he is a starter quality point guard. Either way, he has the idea that he's a starter. He thinks he's going to collect a lot of money this season. And if that's the case, then that kind of takes us to that second point that you brought up, which is whether or not Miami should try and acquire a point guard. And if they do, Rozier is probably too expensive an option. So I don't know that he is a legitimate candidate for Miami to try and acquire. I would say other teams, probably the Phoenix Suns at this point, because the Orlando Magic were considered a strong suitor for Rozier via trade. And then they acquire their theoretic point guard of the future, Markel Fultz, via trade. So... Uh, I don't think the Magic are in it. I don't think they saw Rozier as a legitimate option, to be honest with you, from guys I had talked to who, in the front office. They didn't see Rozier as the, a likely candidate. Um, as far as the Heat are concerned, again, they can't afford to pay Rozier. But is guard even a position of need at this point? I mean, we talked about this in a recent podcast. Rich, Richardson's playing the two now. You've got Winslow, your, your potential all-star at point guard now. You've got Deion Waiters still under contract. You've got Goran Dragic. Coming back from injury soon and at least under contract for another year, potentially for more if he opts out and re-signs. Uh, Dwayne Wade gone, obviously, but you have yeah, other I, options there. I, 
I, I, just I don't do see the need for a starter level point guard. I, I do think that they're. I, I actually disagree. I think that they they could use that a, a better guard at that Dion Waiters spot, and I do think you want. I think you want a, a point guard ish kind of guy. I think you want a guy who is probably smaller, is is good defensively, and Rosier is good defensively, and and I can guard other point guards and stuff like that because ultimately you want Winslow, even though he's playing point guard on offense, you want him guarding bigger guys on defense. Same goes for Josh uh, uh, Josh Richardson, who's probably should be guarding two guard twos or threes, right? And so I think you could use somebody in that waiter's spot. And maybe next year, like, your bench unit is anchored by Dragic and Waiters, and all of a sudden, hey, that bench looks way better. Maybe you kind of go back to that 7-11 dynamic and that second unit. I, I just think that maybe that works. Unless, of course, you can move Waiters, which I think would be the better option, but I just don't see that happening for them. Um, I just, yeah, I just don't it, know. Like, I, I agree with you, though. You don't want to pay Rozier what he's going to make. I mean, you're basically... If you pay Rozier what he is probably going to make... You're kind of back into a Tyler Johnson situation. Like I don't yeah. I look at Rozier's numbers and I know that numbers aren't the end all be all, but like his numbers aren't much better than Tyler Johnson's. I just like yeah. and Tyler Johnson was the starter. So I just I, I just think you if you're the Heat, and we talked about this on yesterday's podcast, you don't want to end up in another situation where you have to pay these guys long term deals who aren't superstars or even have the potential to be really all stars. I don't think Rozier has like all star potential. And so and and look, if you disagree I don't think you disagree by much, and you—I mean the general you, not you, David. But like, if he is an all-star, it's like one time, minute max in his career. Like that's it. So, I just—that's not the guy. That's basically what I'm saying. Is like, I, I see a reason that that would be a position of need. This ain't the guy. Well, you know, one of the things that we've talked about recently also is the idea that maybe between Richardson and Winslow, uh, their skill sets are so varied that it's kind of watered down what they're capable of doing as far as making an overall impact on both sides of the floor. They're expected to be playmakers. They're expected to be high-level scorers. They're expected to be high-level defenders. And that's that's rarely the case. You look at a guy like Kawhi Leonard, he's not a playmaker, and that's fine. He can afford to be a top scorer on a team. He can afford to be a top perimeter defender. Um, and, and you're asking Winslow and Richardson to do too much, I think. And so maybe you need somebody who is, if you're going to acquire a guard, you might need somebody who's a little bit more specific and perhaps even limited in what they can do maybe like a specific three and d type playmaker or something along those lines you know what i'm saying maybe somebody that that is going to be more like a ricky rubio type you know i think you brought up that suggestion at some point and i think it, it makes a lot of sense you know you have a guy like rubio who can have the ball in his hands he's, he's not that high a usage guy but he can make plays for others he can defend at a high level he can shoot better now than he did earlier in his career. And that kind of takes the pressure off of Richardson or Winslow and allows them to be more effective in, in other ways, doing what they can do at a higher level. Or I even think like, yeah, fair? yeah. Or even if it's a, you know, a guy who is just a three-point shooter, like a, a better version of whatever Seth Curry is for Portland. Like if you can get, nice. if you can get somebody like that, just that can space the floor and all of a sudden things just get easier for those those huge responsibilities that Winslow and Richardson have, even that could go a long way because Waiters doesn't really help in that regard either, right? He's not a floor spacer. Guys don't necessarily respect him from 25 feet out. And I just, I, I just think, yeah, I think you need a better player there. And specifically a guy who defensively, I think that's really the big thing here for me, defensively can take on that point guard responsibility defensively because we see so often that Richardson and Winslow have that responsibility on defense. And again, that, that eats, like you're saying, eats into what they can do on offense. 
If you can get a guy who could do that for you defensively, now all of a sudden you've bumped Winslow. Okay, yeah, Winslow's going to have to guard some of the bigger guys in the league. But over a course of an 82-game season, you don't play those guys every night, so you could deal with it. Like, every night, it'll be either Richardson, Winslow, or this new guard guy kind of taking the main offensive responsibility um, on defense. And so you can just sort of pass that baton throughout the regular season, and then other, and then those yeah. guys could step up on, I guess, their defensive off nights. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if I'm explaining that right. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, I agree 100. Um, percent Two names: Pat Beverly. Yep. Frank Nilakina. Okay. Hate Frank Nilakina, so no. Uh, I think he would just submarine. What do you hate about? I, I think he would. He's one of the worst offensive players in the league, and I think he would submarine what the Heat. Are, but then again, I'll take. I'll say this: if since the Heat don't really have great options, if you could buy low on Nilakina, why not? Screw it. Um, but I love the Patrick Beverly suggestion, and that's actually a name. I don't even know if we've talked about this off air. Have we talked about this? Because that's literally a name we that I've, I've been batting around in my head for like three weeks now. That we've been recording too long. Sorry. <laughs> Pat Beverly would be the perfect fit. He can hit threes and he can guard guys and he doesn't need the ball. Done. Like if you can go get Pat Beverly, that to me, if I'm the Heat, that's my free agent target. I know it's not it's not Kevin Durant, guys, but that's that's not happening. That's not happening. If you're the Heat and you can go get Pat Beverly somehow, go get Pat Beverly somehow. Because he would be a perfect fit. And then again, you could bring Dragic and Waiters off the bench. Derek Jones Jr. can continue to come off the bench. Uh, Bam Adebayo, unless Whiteside's moved, continues to come off the bench, and you can maybe bring up a guy like Duncan Robinson to a regular contract to space the floor. That second unit, all of a sudden, Dragic, Waiters, Duncan Robinson, Derek Jones Jr., Bam Adebayo, is that not like the 7-Eleven team on steroids, but now it's your second unit? And then you have a first unit of Winslow lead, you know, leading that group. Patrick Beverly spacing the floor and guarding guys as a 3-and-D player. Josh Richardson just continuing to get better in his progression. And then, you know, James Johnson, Kelly Olenek, Hassan Whiteside, however that shakes out, you go with that. Not to mention whoever they draft in the lottery this year, probably. So, um, yeah, maybe maybe the title is happening next year. Uh, how far can the Heat go in the playoffs? We'll answer that next. What's up, Heat fans? We've got a special announcement. We're giving away a D-Wade World Tour t-shirt to a lucky fan. All you have to do is leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at LockedOnHeat. Since we started doing this, We've gotten a ton of new reviews, a ton of new Twitter followers, so time is running out. All you have to do is take a screenshot of both of those things and email it to LockdownHeat at gmail.com to make your submission, and then you can get one of those sweet D-Wade World Tour t-shirts sent to you for free. Whatever style you want, whatever size you wear, it'll be yours for free. So again, go to Twitter, follow us at LockdownHeat, go to iTunes, leave us a a five-star rating and a review, and send us a screenshot of those things to LockdownHeat at gmail.com. And one of these shirts could be yours for free. Tynesten writes in, how far can the Heat make it in the playoffs if they make the playoffs? <laughs> yeah, this seems to be a recurring theme. I know we had a question similar to this earlier in the week, and, and you know we debated it at some length. This, this makes uh, me really think that most Heat fans, or at least the Heat fans that are listening to us, really kind of fall on your side of the fence here as far as tanking versus just making the playoffs. Like, hats off. Like, I I am, I know I'm really pessimistic about this Heat team, and I have been kind of all season long. I, I really appreciate the people that are writing us in and being like, hey, Heat playoffs, like, what are the chances? How far can we go? Like, if you're rooting for that, hats off to you, man, because, like, I, I just don't have that kind of optimism. So I just wanted to say that. Like, we've got a lot of these kind of questions, like you said, and uh, I just, I don't know how you guys do it. 
<laughs> look, I, I think you you look at this franchise and what they've been under the 20-something years of, of Pat Riley's leadership, and the playoffs are sort of the expectations. And I think you could probably explain a lot of this season's problems due to injury. I mean, can you say that if Goran Dragic was healthy – you know, they wouldn't have won maybe two or three more games and be right in the thick of things as far as the playoffs are concerned? Sure, I guess. I mean, fine. I mean, look, I think that's a realistic possibility. And I think if that's the case, then you're not doubting the playoffs. You're wondering whether or not you might be able to string things along and, and, and kind of make a late late push and maybe uh, maybe have a chance. Now, as far as Tennyson's question, I mean, I, I, I think they'll still make the playoffs. I, I really do believe that. But I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. But even if they do, let's assume that they make the yep. playoffs. It's about how far they yep. can go. Not very. Uh, I mean, we've debated this before uh, earlier this week, if I'm not mistaken. You know, Milwaukee, you have to hope. I mean, you don't have to hope for an injury, but you, I mean, an injury has to occur for Miami to have even a, a glimmer of a chance. Um, you have to hope. Like we saw in, in late December when we watched that game in the American Airlines Arena, we have to hope that they somehow magically limit Giannis Antetokounmpo again for a, a seven. Yeah, four series. times uh, in seven I games. Don't. Yeah, no, no team has beaten the Bucks twice this season. That hasn't happened this year. Yeah, so I mean, look, that was a really, really good outing against Giannis. James Johnson did a phenomenal job along with Winslow and Olynyk and and Richardson. I mean, a, a lot of different players had a hand in making things difficult for Adetokounmpo, and, and there was an off-shooting night for Middleton and for for a, a Lopez and, yeah. and, and everybody else in that roster. I, I, look, they added Nikola Miritich. They, they've gotten better after the trade deadline. I mean, that's that, that's a tough group to and beat. Like the, and I just, the top I teams in the East have all gotten better. Like, Toronto got better. Um, yes. Philadelphia obviously got a lot better with Tobias Harris. Milwaukee, like you said, just got better. Those are kind of the guys. Boston already kind of had their group. I don't see the Heat matching up well with them. And if we're talking about Indiana, I just, the Heat are so far back. I, I don't see a four-five matchup happening. Match like up. that's just not in the cards for the Heat. So it's like the reason you, we start off talking about Milwaukee is because if the Heat are going to get in, they're probably getting in as an eighth seed. And even if they get in as like let's say they sneak up, like they just go on some sort of run and end up as a seventh seed. Like they're not beating Toronto. That's that's almost as bad a matchup as Milwaukee is. Uh, I think that they get as about as far as the airport if we're talking about how far they can make it in the playoffs. Like they just they get, you know, maybe they'll make it to Milwaukee International or whatever the airport is there. What like maybe they make it across customs and get into Toronto, but that's about as far as they're getting. I just one time, one time because they're not going back there. You know, they're gonna have the two games. They'll have two games in Miami. They'll lose in Miami. That'll be it. So when you're looking at this team and their realistic chances of playoffs, uh, I think, well, you can look at uh, an article that came out earlier today, uh, actually earlier this week from Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, had an opportunity to talk to a couple of scouts and their assessment of the Heat and their players, well, let's just say it was not particularly optimistic. Yeah, uh, we got this question from several people, this one from, uh, we'll just, I'll read this one from Daniel. Please comment on today's Barry Jackson column in which two anonymous NBA scouts savage the Heat's roster and future prospects. It is one of the more depressing pieces I've read recently, especially after I was briefly encouraged by Pat Riley's interview, which we talked about earlier in the week, um, interview with me with Dan, uh, Dan Levitard. Uh, 
Yeah, so the piece wasn't great, but also, look, I think those two scouts were pretty savage, to use Daniel's word. I think that was an accurate description of how those scouts approached Miami's roster. But it also, like, read Barry Jackson's piece. Look, I, Barry Jackson is a newsbreaker, and and I take my hat off to the work he does, but he wasn't necessarily breaking news in that piece. Like, I don't, I don't think he was trying to. It's kind of like we knew all that stuff already. Like, it, it's not yeah. like this team had a a bunch of superstars and then these scouts came out and been like hold on the advanced stats say blah 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 these aren't superstars you're not winning a title with russell westbrook you know like none of this is new stuff for us it just i i think to me the takeaway is like all right and th- and we've talked about this going to the trade deadline like ad nauseum david is like you don't over don't think too much about your players and don't think that other front offices are just stupid all of a sudden. Like, hey, Whiteside had a good game. Can we trade him now? No. Other front offices get it. And one of those scouts even said, yeah, Whiteside's been setting better screens lately. Whoop-de-doo. Like, so I just don't see that, like, <laughs> I was paraphrasing, obviously, but... Uh... No, and it's not too far <laughs> off. The scout B, scout B of Barry Jackson's piece writes, he's doing a better job setting screens, but he's just not consistent enough, something that you and I have talked about a number yeah, of times. Yeah, so I just, like... At the end of the day, none of, you're not, probably not moving these guys for, you know, you're probably not packaging Whiteside and Dion Waiters together for Jimmy Butler. Like, you're not doing that. You're probably packaging a couple of these guys for Ryan Anderson. And that's kind of the reality yeah. of this thing. Yeah, even a guy that we had valued earlier in the season that we thought might be Miami's best trade tradable p- player, Rodney Magruder, uh, this scout says that he's more likely to command somewhere in the lower end of a mid-level exception this year, like somewhere below $5 million. So, um, you know, I, I can only remember when we had, uh, you know, Michael Pina of, of Vice Sports or formerly of Vice Sports uh, earlier this year talking about his interview with Rodney Magruder and expecting at that time that Magruder was going to make a lot of money in the future. That doesn't seem as likely now. It seems like he's going to make some money and nowhere near the kind of future that we expect him. So players, you know, have lost value over the course of the season. Uh, he was, these scouts were frank about, uh, the younger players on the franchise too. I mean, they, they had nice things to say about Winslow, um, they also suggested something that, that you've talked about specifically, that Goran could come off the bench and, and play off ball, uh, or that he could be uh, the, the two guard there and, and they could leave Winslow as the playmaker on this team. So, I mean, there were some optimistic things, but they, they've also been frank about, uh, you know, Miami's front office making some bad decisions and, and overpaying these players after uh, the 30 and 11 run a couple of years ago. And that's something that you and I have talked about on a number of occasions too. So, uh, you're looking at this roster. It's not great. I think we all know that. Um, a lot of these players are overpaid. I will say that they were probably a little harsh in Olenek because, um, I mean, I understand that that contract may not seem like a great value, but I, I think he's been a little bit more productive than they gave him credit for. He's Either also way. playing out of position, and that kind of and that almost leads into what our next couple of mailbag questions are here, but he needs to be playing the five in today's game. Like he, he's played literally this entire season. He's played out of position. He's not a power forward. He's not. And he needs to be playing the five. He needs to be just picking and popping over and over and over and over again. And, and facilitating in a spaced out floor. Like that's a Linux best version of himself. And, you know, we saw guys like Winslow get played in position and all of a sudden, wow, he actually looks great. Like that contract contract extension that people were doubting all of a sudden looks like a bargain just because you moved him over a couple spots. And I think that really matters. And so I think the Heat need to figure out a way, just like they did with the Tyler Johnson-Wayne Ellington like, kind of way to loosen up the rotation a little bit and get guys into positions they need to be in. they got to make some sacrifices, make some tough decisions. 
and they've got one. They've basically ended up with one center too many between Bam, who's not able to play next to Whiteside, Olenek, who's not able to play Whiteside, and Whiteside next to Whiteside, and Whiteside is not able to play any other position than center. They've got three too many centers, and uh, that that's actually a good segue uh, into our next uh, uh, couple questions. But let's take a quick break here before we get into that stuff. All right, we've got a few more mailbag questions to get to. This one comes from Ferris, who writes in, What are some realistic trade options post the 2019 season? Ferris has been listening to the podcast, because that's what we keep talking about, right? After next season, what are you kind of looking at? Uh, this this summer's not really a, uh, in in the ballpark for the Heat's front office, but I've, I've kind of been thinking about this idea. Okay, if we start thinking about realistic trade options, look... Players are going to be out there. They're going to shake loose. They're going to demand trades. Like, I just, I don't, I don't, and maybe you disagree on this. I don't know if it's worthwhile to just try to speculate who's going to demand a trade. Like, I don't know if Bradley Beal is going to demand a trade. I think just somebody, I think it was Michael Lee or somebody for the Athletic wrote this long piece about how Bradley Beal is dedicated to Washington. And we've heard this piece be written before. And then, like, four months later, they demand a trade, right? But, so unless there's some names that are popping out at you, I almost would rather talk about, okay, let's look at this Heat roster and kind of build whatever our package would look like, and then you can sort of go from there. Like, what is realistically attainable with that? The package I keep coming back to, either this summer or going forward, depending on what happens with Goran Dragic's contract, what is a Dragic... And let us let me ask you about this summer. What does a Dragic and Bam out of bio package look like for you? Because I just got done talking about how this team has... One center too many. I don't know if you're able to trade Olenek. The scouts, like we were just talking about, don't like Olenek's contract. I, I think that you're a year away from trading Olenek. Um, Whiteside, as an expiring, maybe you can move him. That's best case scenario, I think, if you move Whiteside because uh, expiring maybe gives you a little value back. We'll see. But Bam is the most tradable out of all of them. But obviously you'd want to hang out, hang on to him for that reason. He's got the highest upside out of all those guys. But could you trade Bam plus Dragic? Like, what kind of player could that get you? I'm thinking no, nobody specifically, but uh, I would say probably a mid-level star, probably on a higher-end deal and towards the end of that deal. Okay. Like, maybe that's a little too vague, but probably, like, I'm not even, like, I, I can't think off the top of my what? head. Let's say... Let's say Kyle Lowry in the last mm. end of his deal, last year of his deal, something along those Kyle lines. Kyle Lowry, like, Mike gives, Conley... Something like that. Yeah, but Conley still has too many years left. But yeah, something okay. along those lines. Like, not quite elite superstar level. You're not getting Steph Curry for Dragic and Adebayo, right? right? I mean, that's all. Like a like so uh, it's a Tobias Harris of this a top year, forty player. Yeah, like a top forty yeah. player. And towards the end of the deal, that is entering free agency, and maybe he's a little older, and and whatever team that player is currently on doesn't want to commit a long term deal to him, so they can get a serviceable replacement in you know Dragic, and maybe a, a future building block in Adebayo. Yeah, like and Bam is almost like Dragic is getting them somebody that can contribute right away. Bam can contribute right away too, but he's almost right. like instead of long term instead of trading a first round pick. Which Miami is already out right. of one. You almost just give him Bam, who I think would have more value potential potentially of as a than a first round pick. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's spot on. Like a Chris Middleton type player, I think you can get that for somebody uh, like an All Star level player, but like you know, made the All Star team, has some upside, but doesn't isn't like a superstar upside guy. I, I think that's kind of what right. we're looking at. Um, and so. 
with that in mind, there's a couple other deals I kind of want to... What is a package of Justice Winslow plus a contract? Maybe it's a Linux, James Johnson, Dion Waiters. One of these like 10 to $14 million contracts plus Justice Winslow. What kind of player could that get you? I think that I think that is a little bit more value than Bam and Dragic. Uh, I I don't know. Um, look, if you're going to look at just even Jackson's piece there, Scout A was not particularly yeah. impressed with Winslow. Like he he's not, you know that that person. Uh, it does not seem like like they're not particularly sold on Winslow's improvement. Like it's been a nice story, I think, but I'm not sure that. Um, there's enough of a sample size there. Like we've seen progress, obviously, but it needs to be a little bit more consistent. It needs to be a little bit more, I think, of a sample size. So if if Winslow carries this through for all of next year, and then you want to make that deal uh, a season from now, then you'd probably be able to get a lot more for yeah. him. But at this point in time, I, I think you'd you'd be lucky to get as much as what we talked about before. So I think, I, and that scout even said. Josh Richardson is still like the most, um, the 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 guy with the most value on the Heat's roster, and I yeah. think that makes sense given his three and D potential and the way he just sort of his shooting, and how he can just fit into kind of any situation. You know, you could see everybody wanting a guy like Josh Richardson, even if they're not like the number one op. If he's not the number one option that Miami's sort of propping him up to be, but like Richardson plus one of those contracts, I think might be able to get you something nice. Like, what if? things sort of submarine in Philadelphia and they've got to break up that group. I could see Richardson being a nice guy there where you could do Richardson plus the role player of their choice for, I mean, you're not getting Joel Embiid, but like, do they move on from Ben Simmons? Is that something that's out there? Uh, Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris probably getting resigned by the 76ers this summer. At least that's the idea there. Can you get one of those guys? Like I could see maybe yeah. that happening. I think Butler's the guy that they'd be more willing to move than anything yeah. else. Like I think they're committed to Tobias now, but I mean the Butler idea, I, I from what we've heard, and I think you've heard the same things I have. Uh, they're they're not a lock to re-sign Jimmy right. Butler this offseason. Like that's something that might be their goal, or that might be what they're projecting to do. But you know, if things fall apart over the next twenty something games, or if they fall short in the playoffs. Maybe they can just pivot and just move on from either Tobias or, or, or Jimmy Butler. And then just to wrap up this question from Ferris, uh, asking about realistic targets, um, just like the thing that you got to look at, who's going to be a free agent and who might, you know, tell their front office behind closed doors, hey, really appreciate the years. It's been real, but I'm not resigning here. Kind of just like what Paul George did in Indiana and forced his almost, you know, didn't ask for a trade, but basically said, I'm not resigning here. Uh, yeah, and not what Anthony Davis. And not what Anthony Davis did. That summer of 2021, I keep going back to it. Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, CJ McCollum, those are the guys who are going to be free agents. Does does Damian Lillard go to Portland and say, "Hey, it's like I've tried to make it work here. I got to go win. I like I'm not demanding a trade or what? Maybe he is demanding a trade or whatever. Is this like I'm just not resigning here? Can you get one of those guys maybe a year before 2021 and take one of these packages that we just talked about? Is that worthwhile to Portland or Washington or whoever might be moving their guys? But let's get to this next question. Comes from New Era Heat Nation. Good for you, man. Nice. Interested to know what pick you and David would realistically like the Heat to take. So somewhere in the seven to nine range, what position do you think? Injured player is not included, so pretend we still have Derek Jones Jr. and Goron. Uh, the Heat need to improve the most. So basically, 
is there a guy in this draft, David, or at least a position of need that you see the Heat needing, assuming that they end up with what sounds like a, a top nine-ish pick, wherever that might fall? Um, I would I would say I would want somebody with a good amount of size, somewhere within the six seven to six ten range, um, with enough skill. That you could potentially make them the starting po- the starting forward of the future, the starting power forward like next to whoever the ne- yeah. the, set, the starting center is of the future. Okay, yes. I think that's where you you want to look. Like I I would say, I mean, judging from like players in today's league, maybe like a Jonathan Isaac type, you know, or something along those lines. Um, because I think that's where you you kind of need to 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 find a player now. You need to have somebody who's versatile, who has a bigger body, who you can add muscle to, who you can develop a little bit, and and I think. There's so, too, still too much of a glut at the the wing position, um, and and as far as ball handlers are concerned, you also have a glut at the center position, bigs, and so you need somebody with a little bit more range, a little bit more fluidity there as far as position is concerned, but enough high end talent and ability that they can do something that they could fit different roles there. So I think that's what you'd look for. I, I don't know who if that player even exists in the draft, but that's what I've I got want. two names for you for guys who I think can fit that, but I'll get to that in a second. Because we have been doing this podcast way too long. 100% agree with you. I think you're spot on. And I think the player, you mentioned Jonathan Isaac as a comp, and I love that comp. I just, he's a couple years away. Right now, if you, and I do think this is going to be sort of the new in vogue prospect comparison. If you can go get yourself a Pascal Siakam, you have done yourself a tremendous bonus. The way he's able to switch defensively into all five positions, handle the ball a little bit offensively, shoot, uh, offensively and and just sort of show some range there and some and some high upside there that's the kind of guy you want and so i 100 percent agree with you look james johnson is on the wrong side of 30 and his body seems to be breaking down i don't know that Derek jones jr i think theoretically could fit that long four kind of thing i just he's just too yeah, slight though you can't take i just don't know he can hold up exactly can you find basically Derek jones jr on steroids and then continue to bring mm-hmm. Derek jones jr off the bench uh, as like sort of this defensive savant behind, you know, to kind of take the place of Rodney Magruder, just sort of be a better version of that. I think that would be Derek Jones Jr.'s best utility. So, and, and then the other position I need is that other that other guard spot, that, that spot that is currently being occupied by Dion Waiters could potentially be occupied by Goran Dragic. But if you're looking to draft somebody and you're looking towards the future, and you're assuming that Justice Winslow, Josh Richardson, and Bam Adebayo are sort of your trio that you're building around, then that other guard spot and then that power forward spot are the two spots. I don't think that in this in the lottery that there's many guys who fit that guard spot. Obviously, you've got a, a, a guy like uh, uh, Ja Morant out of Murray State, but he's going to be probably gone unless the Heat get super lucky in the draft in the draft lottery, which is possible. He he'll, he'll be sure. gone by the time the Heat pick. There's another guy like Jarrett Culver, but he's not exactly the type I think that they're looking for, even though they'd probably take him. Romeo Langford is out there, but he's kind of a ball-dominant guy. I don't know that that's necessarily like the ideal fit. Darius Garland out of Vanderbilt. People are like high and low on him, and I just, I honestly at this point have not done the draft work yet. Um, I'm just not there yet. So, But those are just sort of the names that keep uh, popping up on these draft boards. But I'm, again, going back to what you said. That long four, that versatile guy who could do things offensively, could switch all positions defensively. I think the Heat need to go find that because those guys have such high upside. Pascal Siakam, people are writing whether or not he could be an MVP candidate in the future. I mean, they got to they gotta swing for the fences or they got to hit 
because they got a solid guy in Winslow, they got a solid guy in Richardson, they got a solid guy in Bam. They need to hit something out of the park. So I'm looking at a guy like uh, Sekou Dumbuya, international prospect, 6'9", 210, can kind of just do stuff. Um, currently in that top 15 range, depending on what you're looking at. Again, haven't done the draft work, but just from a, like a fit standpoint and just sort of you're, you're reading the bullet points on him, could be that. Um, another guy out of Stanford... Uh, can I make a pro- can I propose something here? A potential trade, a hypothetical. I know how much. Let me just name this. this guy from Stanford. KZ Akpala at Stanford. Same type of body type guy as these Pascal Siakams. Versatile kind of four guy. But yeah, what's the trade? You're bringing up Siakam, so it kind of got the wheels turning a little Let's bit. There. I know they're still high on him, but what if you could include the first round pick and James Johnson just to move that contract off the books for OG and Unabi? And that gives the Raptors another body they can throw at Giannis in the playoffs. They get a first-round pick to bolster their roster. And then you get OG to develop here in Miami. I I, mean, I have so many questions about OG's offensive game and his durability. It that scares me. I would rather take the I'd rather take the if it's a lottery pick, I'd rather just use the pick. You disappoint me. I know. And I love OG and Unabi, but mm. But then you're able to get off the James Johnson contract, so I don't know. That's really tough. That's actually a super good hypothetical. I don't know. Um, all right. You you and your love of mystery box A. <laughs> Final question before we wrap up here. Fly Wade 2 writes in, your thoughts on Dwayne Wade bringing in his oldest son to All-Star Weekend. David, you were at All-Star Weekend, uh, and, and you probably have a better take than, than me on this, but I'm going to go first anyway. Yes. I freaking loved it. I love that Zaire Wade was basically the youngest all-star ever in NBA history because he was doing all of the things. He was on the court. He was at the dunk contest. He was basically playing in the all-star game because he was he was doing he was going through shoot around with them, warm ups with them. I loved it. I love that Zaire is out there. He's posting on Instagram like photos. Like he's in the all-star team LeBron photo. He has a photo. He's with the team. He's in the team photo. He's not on the team, people. He was in the photo. He's right in right in the middle of the photo. He's in it. And he's posting on Instagram with the caption, surround yourself. I don't have it in front of me, but like something to the effect of surround yourself with people with the same goals as you. This guy has mm. so much confidence. I love it. I'm I'm all on board, and I can't wait for Zyra Wade to be on the Miami Heat in like 2025 or whatever year it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear. I Look, a couple things that are probably obvious. Like Dwayne Wade is an extremely proud parent, um, and I think he... He, he sees the potential in Zaire and he wants to bring that along as much as possible. And he's cultivating it in a way that we probably have not seen up close before. And I think another thing that what we talked about as far as recruiting and, and the player on this roster who could potentially help recruit, I mean, it's still Wade has still so much cachet among other players that he can, can sort of get away with this. Like, I don't think anybody else has, has even thought and about it. He's not even this. a real all-star. We'll see this. He was an honorary right. addition, and then the flex to just be like, thanks for the honorary addition. Also, I'm bringing my son to everything. This is a package deal. Yeah. It didn't say and one in the invitation, Dwayne. Okay, it was for just you, and that was the and one. You're the and one, Dwayne. Yes. You can't just bring anybody else. But anyway, uh, look, I, I was there at the Junior NBA World Championship in Orlando, and guess who he had with him there too as a global ambassador? He had his yeah. son, and 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 immense pride. I asked him about it. He he loves his son, obviously a great deal, and he wants him to be able to to be able to see what the NBA lifestyle is like. And one thing that I notice a lot 
in Orlando at the Junior NBA World Championship was Wade introducing his son to everybody. If you were connected to the league in any way, from front office types to NBA execs to uh, former players, anybody, current players, he's like, this is my son Zaya, this is my son Zaya, bringing him along and making sure that he meets these people. Because maybe it's along those same lines of what Zaire, you know, put in his Instagram uh, post, that he wants to be able to see the vision and make it a reality. Uh, and I think that carried through in Charlotte as well, where he, he really he wanted to see these great players up close. And, and, and you know, one of the things that I saw in Charlotte is the idea that these older players want to continue to help mentor these younger guys and, and, and bring the, the quote-unquote next generation along. And, and, and as far as I hear, that might be a little bit more young than they, they were you know planning as far as passing right. the, the torch to, but they, they, they take pride in being able to help these young hoopers out to get to that next level, and if that, and especially if he's already closely related to a all-time great like Dwayne, it makes a lot of sense. So that that was a nice thing to see Zaire kind of fitting in well there. And I mean, he was there uh, along our side. I, I saw him walk onto the court uh, with Dwayne. I saw him asking questions in the media scrums and everything else. It was it was kind of funny and and nice, you know, because look, this is Dwayne's last year, and he wants to make it special. And why not have his family members? It was a big moment, right, for for Zaire too. I saw like on Gabrielle Union's Instagram, which is where like you actually went to Charlotte and covered the game. All my reporting was basically through Instagram stories. So you know, you got you got all the, you got all the inside stuff. Though, <laughs> let me tell you, uh, on Gabrielle Union's Instagram feed, it was all just like Dwayne Wade dressing Zaire for the occasion. He's got the off white Converse's on. You know, he's trying to get the right socks to go and. He's got the um, the pant the, the short pants to show off the shoes appropriately and everything like that. Um, the short pants that, of course, that uh, Dwayne Wade ushered into pop culture. Um, so gotta give credit where credits due. But yeah, it's just like he was out there. And, and look, you look at the recent history in the league. Guys like Steph Curry, whose dad Del Curry was in the league, and basically did the same kind of thing, right? Maybe short of the the, the fashion statements and the off-white converses, but <laughs> uh, had his son around the NBA forever. And, and you mentioned, like, it makes it more realistic for them. They're able to just put their hand out and, and shake hands with the greats of the league, and it just makes it more of a realistic, attainable thing. And you look at a guy like Steph, who's able to achieve what he's been able to achieve and, and reach these heights. Like, Zaire's got a really promising future. And I... It's not just because he's the son of Dwayne Wade. He's really talented, obviously. Uh, we've seen him play. Like You could see YouTube clips of him play and stuff like that. But uh, this is only going to help him. And I'm actually like really looking forward to watching him in the league because that's just going to be super cool. And uh, it, like those are the sort of things that just... The way that Wade was able to bring him along, the way that the NBA just supported him through it. You know, We make jokes about it, but it's the best league. And I'm glad we cover it, and I'm glad we get to talk about it because... This is just—it's a really fun thing. So uh, we'll end it on that. Also, shout out American Heritage High School, where Zaire Wade plays. I, I was a camp counselor there for like six or seven years or something. Is that a real high school? For for the longest now, I didn't really think it exists, other than to like be a, a network for basketball players to reach. It's it's a yeah. private school where people like rich kids huh. send their kids, and their kids don't care about school at all. There you go. Um, there you go. Because they're rich. They're rich. Why do they yeah. need to care? What deal? It's just like shouts to American Heritage. What up? Um, Anyway, that's all we have for today. Thanks for listening. When you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Heat. Connect with us on Twitter at Locked on Heat or email us at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes. Yeah! Um.